Have you ever wondered why leading and influencing others is so darn hard? Are you sitting on the sidelines wondering, did career management change and I didn't get the memo? Are you tasked with engaging employees in ways that produce high-performing, inclusive cultures? If you said yes to any of these, then welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Here, I interview experts and other leaders who have broken the code and are navigating complex issues and uncertainty. They set goals for themselves, their teams, and their organization, and over time, close the gap between where they are today and where their vision leads them for tomorrow. Listen as we tell the truth about leading and career navigation and offer practical lessons that work for everyone. Oftentimes, we talk about DEI. And yet, in some ways, it's become kind of a code word for marginalized people, particularly Black people in this in America, and women. Uh, and it's focused on them. But for us to have inclusive, high-performance workplaces, it really means that people, everybody has to feel like they belong, that they are included, included, and that their voice has weight and will be heard. But that story doesn't always get told. And it really is tough in the healthcare field. So my next guest is Joanne Wortham. And she is so amazing. I fell in love with her when we did the overview. And I'm like, okay, how can we get this voice out? Because she got some stuff to tell y'all. And it is good as gold. And so I want you to tune up and listen just to see where we might do better in this idea of being an inclusive, high-performance workplace. So how you doing? How you doing, Joanne? Oh my gosh, I'm doing so well today, I, and I think mostly because I was going to get to talk to you again. We had such a wonderful time uh, during <laughs> our last conversation. So thank you for having me, uh, Denise, to to really talk about these very important topics. Thank you so much. Oh, not, hey, this is my pleasure. I love digging deep into this, and hopefully, I won't geek out on the audience <laughs> as we go through this. <laughs> But, you know, I, I know you, but give us a little bit of your history and why did you step out of a fairly lucrative career to take on this idea of direct diversity, equity and inclusion? First of all, I want to just say this, that um, all of this is because of my mother. I have to blame her for everything. <laughs> uh, um, my mom and dad. OK, so I'm from Louisiana, deep south. Uh, near New Orleans. Mom and dad had 10 children. Uh, I'm nine of the 10, um, five girls, five boys. And one thing that my mom, I watched her do, you know, during the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, all during this time, and she's raising her children in this society that really was, and, and I know that um, people will feel this, will really feel this, that in a society that really was, so to speak, against her children, um, it was a tide, if you will, uh, that was coming in, that her children had to stroke against the tide. And so she was always trying to teach us that it is important to really look from side to side not just straight ahead. Mm -hmm. You really have to have a panoramic view of your life and not just be focused on yourself. Mm -hmm. So even mm -hmm. if you're doing well and you're okay, 
or you believe you are, mm -hmm. you need to look side to side, have a panorama and really look to see what you can give to the world as much as you take look to make sure of what you can give. Now, we have doctors in my family, we have nurses, physical therapists, uh, we are very giving uh, type of family, but she put us on that track. Mm -hmm. um, during her time, um, actually, uh, Blacks couldn't, could only go up to the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. um, so she finished the sixth grade, but she really wanted to be a registered nurse, but there was no way for her to go to college or, or be in a, so she kind of pushed uh, some of us to do things like that, to be in uh, what she said, be a helping spirit. Mm -hmm. So while I was going to nursing school, in nursing school, um, really experiencing the healthcare industry yeah. as a Black female, uh, which, you know, uh, for the audience, I just want to let you know that not all your employees are having the same experience while they're at work. Um, they may all be giving quality care to patients and families, but they themselves are not having the same experience at work. And so seeing this, I thought to myself that I, I'm a nurse and I am, um, but I also thought I really want to learn the legal aspects of it. So I finished mm -hmm. law school um, so I could figure out kind of what's discrimination or what can be done in, in terms of that. I really went to law school just to really figure out the law and what was going on with that. But wow. I wanted to give back to the healthcare industry in a way. So I taught, I, I, I went and, and, and taught at a university. Um, and what really stood out with that, Denise, is that we would have 200 students mm -hmm. and then we have five blacks black students, oh. uh, 200 nursing students and five black students. And I was, uh, we had 187, I'll never forget that number, 187 people that graduated in my class. Mm -hmm. um, and there were two of us. Uh, so there's a huge sort shortage of, of, of minority doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers, right? A huge shortage. And we already know that. But having those experiences, I thought to myself, no one's going to bring this forward if we don't. Right. No one's going to do that for right. us. And so while we have different organizations of, of black minority nurses, right, mm -hmm. we have different organizations of minority doctors and what have you, I wanted to go straight to the heart of it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a consultant in equity, diversity, and inclusion to executive leaders. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to boards mm -hmm. because I knew that those were the people who could really bring the resources into equity, diversity, and inclusion. And somebody asked me one time, why do you say equity, diversity, inclusion? Because isn't it D-E-I? I mean, doesn't D mm -hmm. come before, I mean, alphabetical order? And I'm right. thinking it's really less about alphabetical order and more about what needs to happen first. If we're not thinking about being equitable, you can forget about diversity mm -hmm. because you can have, I don't know, however many numbers, because we do a lot of counting, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, however no, many numbers of employees that are from marginalized groups. But if you're not thinking about them having an equitable workplace and work life mm -hmm. and work experience, they're not going to stay. Yeah. If they don't, if they don't feel like they belong, which is something that's very personal, right. they, they don't feel like they're included, which is more systemic. Mm -hmm. They're not going to stay. So mm -hmm. you'll be forever counting. But watch this, Denise, not the same people. Mm -hmm. it, 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 you just keep getting uh, 
I'll say it like this, right? Over and over again, and you won't have retention. So I probably answered a whole bunch of questions right there. But what I was trying to say is I started my journey uh, because I had that experience in healthcare. And I know that we can do better. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll say this, Denise, you would think that in healthcare, now we've been taking care of people since, since mm-hmm. decades, right? Mm-hmm. So you would think that we would be the industry mm-hmm. that would come forth and say about physical well-being and mental uh, well-being of our employees. Like right, we would right. put that first, right? Because we're the people who care about people. But what you'll find in, in healthcare is that there's a double standard. We do care about our patients and our families and we show it. Watch that yeah. word. We show that we care about them mm-hmm. and we want to give them a, a quality experience. We even mm-hmm. have an office called patient experience, right? Mm-hmm. But our workers, our workers, the people who are taking care of the people, we, and you'll find, um, what they say? 1.7 million healthcare workers have left the profession. Did you know yeah, that? Yeah, I was getting ready to say COVID really stepped that up because right stress the door is open right. and talk about people running out the door. They left because they didn't feel cared for. Right. Right. They didn't feel supported. And some people think, well, that was COVID. That was just because of. Co-. No, guys, this has been going on in the healthcare industry for a very long time. And COVID it, was just a, and, the t- right. The an exacerbation. The broke the camel, yeah. Right. Is an exacerbation of something that's been going on for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about this, Denise, and I you know, I want everybody to know I'm, th- I'm talking about every employee's experience. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about equity, diversity of ideas. I'm talking about inclusion for all, everybody's experience. If our employers don't start in the healthcare industry, don't start thinking about how they can further engage everyone, we're in trouble, Denise. We're, so we're in trouble. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we've been talking about, you know, the world is going to get more global, the numbers are going to switch more women in the workplace than men, et cetera. And, you know, everybody sat back on their laurels and said, it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. It's tomorrow, which is our natural habit. I say all the time, strategies don't uh, succeed because of the tyranny of the day. What's one of us right now has to be addressed. And so, again, the idea of taking care of our employees is another one of those things, regardless of the industry. I mean, I am shocked that the healthcare industry is so far behind in terms of this conversation. You would not have thought that, particularly around the issue of mental health. But wherever I look, it still is, well, that's tomorrow's problem. It takes too long. It's not something that, you know, is going to bring us money. All of these conversations keep coming up over and over again. How do we change that? Well, one way, um, Denise, is to change our thinking, which is what you're talking about. So this is what I'm always telling uh, executives is that we look at equity, diversity and inclusion as a problem that needs to be solved. Absolutely. Yeah, that is how it's presented, even (laughs) by those in the DEI. Um, space. It is a problem that needs to be solved. Right. So the way that I bring it to them is that it's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity. And you're missing the opportunity to lead the market in whatever market you're in, whatever industry you're in, because you're looking at it as a problem and not an opportunity. Mm -hmm. 
the 2022 census says that interracial mm -hmm. folks and ethnicities mm -hmm. have increased 202 percent mm -hmm. okay that was the 2022 census so if you know that we as a world as a country are going to get more and more and more multiracial then your thought should be what can i do in this environment because these are the people who are going to be working for you denise and these are also the people who are going to be buying from you yeah how can i look toward the future how can i accommodate not only my employees but also my customer base mm -hmm. so you're looking for solutions for what is going on right now that was the 2022 census mm -hmm. instead of saying well we'll work on that right that let's get this initiative so we can just help these marginalized people mm -hmm. no you want to help yourself and i i want to and i've asked someone this before some younger people and they said they didn't have any idea what i was talking about i said do you know something called radio shack <laughs> yeah we are <laughs> and dating ourselves and they were like right radio shack what is radio shack i was like those are the folks who absolutely knew that we could have handheld computers in our hands. Mm -hmm. They absolutely knew that. But because they did not have a vision about what and could not see where the market was going, they chose not to use that information that was given to them by one of their employees. Let's talk about that because the healthcare industry as it's set up now is really good on um, episodic issues. But when it comes to chronic disease, it gets a failing grade. Well, absolutely. But but look at this too, any chronic condition, because equity, diversity, and inclusion is something that has has needed attention for decades. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna call that a systemic institutional chronic condition. And we're just not good at that. Yeah. Um, and I think and and here's the thing, Denise, we have to learn how to do the work in a different way. Mm -hmm. How do we look at healthcare as a communal ecosystem? And mm -hmm. you'll see that some folks are moving way ahead in yep. terms of, and these are hospitals uh, and, and health systems that are, that are moving way ahead, thinking, how can we get this work done without causing extra stress on our employees and, and not giving quality care to our patients and families. They're moving some of their patients back to the house. Mm -hmm. They're taking care of chronic conditions within patients' homes. Mm -hmm. They're doing uh, monitoring by, via video, mm -hmm. right? Having feedback sent back to the hospital, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So these are people who are thinking about how to do the work in a different way. Mm -hmm. So one of the things uh, that I really look at with equity, diversity, and inclusion is this. How are we going to do this work in a different way, in a way that's going to be more profitable for the business and the employees, for mm -hmm. both? And I'm not leaving out the moral part of it. I'm not saying that. But I am saying the more we look at it as a problem and not an opportunity to move forward and do better for employees and businesses, we're losing out we're straight up Radio Shack. So what are some of the experiences of, you know, women and minorities in the healthcare system that would even call attention to this? And, and how would the administration actually understand what that looks like? Well, we're very good in the healthcare system with quantitative data. 
we love looking at how many falls, mm-hmm. how many infections. Mm-hmm. Um, after we look at our data, we're really good at looking, coming up with interventions and then going back. And we're scientists. We really mm-hmm. are scientists. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even look at qualitative data. We want to mm-hmm. know what are our patients say. What are our patients doing and how can we help? But we don't do the same thing and look at the work in terms of our employees. A lot of times, Denise, we're not looking at discriminatory conduct events. We really are not. Well, give Um, me an example of one. Tell me one when you were not, you know, because you were in notes for a long time. I was. Before you got to be in the doctor. Yeah. Tell me what your experience was and that that you hear today. Oh, absolutely. Now, this happened when I was working at a very large children's hospital. Okay. I was in Louisiana at the time. I had been a nurse for five years. I was the only Black nurse in the intensive care unit. Mm-hmm. So follow this. I had worked with this surgeon for quite some time on this one particular procedure. And you know how surgeons are. They like their nurse. <laughs> their they like people who know what they do. They can right. think like them. Right. So uh, we had a baby flown in uh, Mm -hmm. from India and the father came with the baby. So I'm just, you know, taking care of this one child. He calls me over and says, I want to speak to the person in charge. And of course, I get the charge. The father did. Mm -hmm. I want to speak to the charge nurse. So I get her over there. She speaks with him. He doesn't want me in the room. I've only done the baby's vitals. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking I couldn't have done anything. I mean, what could I have done? I took mm-hmm. a blood pressure, right? So I can see that the charge nurse is upset. She's upset. I open the glass door and I go in and he's like, I don't want you in here. And she says, no, she can stay. And he said, no, I don't want her in here. I just want you to do what I said. I want a good nurse, just like everybody else has. Mm. So she comes out of the, she told him, she said, this is the nurse that works with the surgeon. This is his nurse. And so this is the nurse. And he was hearing none of it. But look at this, Denise. I was the only black nurse in the intensive care. This is still going on today, by the way. Right. I was the only black nurse in the intensive care unit. So when he looks around and every patient has a Caucasian nurse, he thinks, hmm, I got the lesser of I got the lesser of. And that's a worldwide issue, too, mm-hmm. by the way. Right. Mm-hmm. The black mm-hmm. nurse probably is not as good as the white nurse. Yeah. I want a white nurse. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, we didn't have the kind of laws that we have now that says you can't do patient reassignment based on race, mm-hmm. uh, which people still do right now, by the way. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. they really do um, and don't have a policy that they don't do that. Right. So at that time. But look at what it did to the team. No one spoke to me that night. Like they couldn't even look at me that night. Oh, so wow. it really because they were, they were ashamed. They were yes. uncomfortable and ashamed and, and ashamed. And I had worked with these people for years. Yeah. They knew I was a good nurse, yeah. but they didn't know what to say. And that's a lot of times why people shy away from these issues is because they don't know what to say. And, and, and that's just a bottom line. But here's here's another shying away. This happened yesterday. OK, my colleague said this to me. So her and the supervisor were mm-hmm. talking. We had got, we have an increase in the amount of discrimination type complaints. OK, mm-hmm. and I want you to see how how they looked at this. And she said that her and the supervisor said, look at this, because the person had said that they were in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were left in the waiting room alone. Wherever they were getting this test was down in the basement. It was cold and nobody came. Uh, to get them for a long, long time and didn't explain it to them. So they said they were discriminated against. But 
guess what they thought? They thought this. They were like, everybody's treated like that. So here is what she said to me. And she was comfortable with saying this to me. She said to me, and me and the supervisor were just like, well, what do they want us to do about that in that tone? And I told her, I said, you know what? Uh, and this is, I like this lady, by the way. Okay. I said, why don't you just ask them what it is that we can do to make it better? Just right. ask them, ask right. them. And she looked at me and she said, oh, I didn't think about it like that. I was like, any complaint, any complaint that we get, it doesn't matter who gave us the complaint, whether it was about discrimination or not. Right. One of our customers felt empowered. Mm -hmm. That's a positive. Yeah. Not a negative. Yeah. And we should run, take that advice, talk to them and see what we can do to make our services better. Let's don't look at it in a negative way. If we're getting more discrimination complaints, we want that mm -hmm. because now we know that our customers mm -hmm. feel more empowered. Mm -hmm. to say she was like well oh i guess that's a positive twist on it i said it's not even a positive twist that really is what how we should be thinking yeah, yeah we want yeah. people to report feedback we Important. want it we any want other it. industry you want feedback right but but we don't want people reporting discrimination what do they what do they want me to do so of course i wrote a whole column and the name of it is what do they want me to do but <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I thought Opportunity. I was like, right? and, and I call myself a, 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 a momental experiential learner, meaning I learn in the moment. I literally okay. made all that up. I learn in the moment. OK, and oftentimes I try to teach in the moment if I think that the person is that's fertile ground. And yes. I think the person yeah. would want to hear that. I try to teach in the moment. Yeah. So what I wanted her to know is that you're looking at something that's very positive, meaning that you've been apparently empowered a whole group of people and you're looking at it as, you know, it's, it's a complaint. I don't I don't want to I don't want to hear all that. So that's just another way, Denise, in terms of reframing, yeah. if you will, the EDI conversation, because people are just scared. And if you would have told her, if you would have told her that we were having an EDI conversation, she, she would have been like, down. no, was it? I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's what it was. We just mm -hmm. talked about discrimination. Look, and you didn't die and I didn't die. You didn't mm -hmm. get mad and I didn't get mad. Mm -hmm. You know, we just, but, we you know, just had a conversation. Do that is a skill. And leaders, you know, whether it's healthcare or anything else, we don't really, we're not really good at leadership training. I mean, the numbers from McKinsey and, and uh, you know, those kinds of research groups still say 90% of leaders are bad. They don't get training, they get to bad training, and they don't, and they're not accountable for leading and working in the culture for really making sure that the culture is the right one. And so companies that are doing better, because we all need to grow in this area, stand out. But how does it how does it because this is not a one and done, you can't just pull a book off the shelf and say, Oh, okay, now I'm empowered, I can inspire people, I can twist, you know, I can look at it a different way. What do you help them do that kind of closes the gap on that? It's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lifestyle change. It's a leadership change. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a change. And I'm their truth teller. 
I don't know any other way to say it. Okay. And I even asked them, I introduced myself and, you know, they heard about whatever and heard whatever. And I'm sitting there with them and, I'm, and, and I asked them the question, do you want to know the truth? Yeah. And they stare at me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, no, seriously, I'm not even joking. Do you want me to look at your data or find out you don't have any either one? And then let you know what my recommendations are for what you should do. Notice I didn't say what policy you should write, what you should tell people, how you should talk. Not that I'm not going to get to that with you, but I am more vested in what are you going to do? And here's the issue. I want to I help you do something today. And they look at me like, you know, there's nothing that can be done today. Yeah, there's something that can be done today. Okay, so stop right there. Mm-hmm. How many times have you had to walk out of there? Because they said, well, you know what? You're not the right person. I would say 50% of the time. Get out of here. Yes. And they say, thank you, Miss Wortham. We'll call you. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. let you know. We'll talk to you next week. And then I just scratched <laughs> that one off. I'm fine. People need to grow within their own space. So I leave them alone Mm -hmm. and then two more people will call. Like, and I I used to get this feeling like um, I really felt like nothing is ever going to change. You know how that negative talk in your mind starts. Yeah, yeah, And um, I need to go back to my corner. Uh, There's, but then, and this is only by the grace of the creator, someone else would call. I really believe like I'm on a divine mission. I know that's Mm -hmm. crazy, but I, I feel that way. Like this is my route. Because doors keep opening. Okay, so and, you know what's really interesting, and I'm a, I'm just going to hold you back on that one. Mm-hmm. Trans African American, she's a gorgeous woman. For us Black folks, we always say it's due to the divine creator. But I listen to white people. It's because opportunity, and I'm passionate. I'm I'm okay with that. I understand, <laughs> but I want our our <laughs> listeners to understand the difference in the perspective. There's no yeah, difference, yeah. passion and opportunity. See, I think passion is divine. You know, that's and look, it's it's our culture. Mm -hmm. Right. When Mm -hmm. I was when I was growing up, Mm -hmm. passion was about being spiritual. Yeah. Right. And so I grew up uh, in Church of God in Christ and everything. And and I'm talking about with my mom and my dad. Dad was a Baptist. And then I was with my Pentecostal mom all the time. And she really believed. And let me tell you this, though, Denise, people are telling me spirituality is what's getting them through the day. Yeah. I'm talking about white and black people. They're like, I had to, I just had to get, you know, in my spiritual corner. I had to get in my spiritual closet. I was I like, you stole that. You stole that from, from my mama. Okay. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but you understand what I'm saying? Like people yeah. are going back to their roots. Yeah. And they're being going, open about it. I think yes, it's just to being open. But I also wanted to the audience to hear that there's still places that probably those 50 percent of people who didn't call back or was I'll, I'll call you back in those environments. It is not all right to be connected to your passion, to your body, to your spirituality, which is why they have to show up. Out. Yeah. And they have to show up in a corporate way, you know, leave your personality oh at gosh. the door mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so part of I wanted to talk to you about is your idea about EDI. I fundamentally believe believe that we will not get to the next level until we can make all people comfortable in who they are and what they, what they may or may not have 
done in the past or what their their history has been or how bad the history, et cetera. If we can't find a way to have a conversation, uncomfortable as it might be, to face the reality that some of this you are not doing, but you certainly are benefiting from, and unconsciously you may even be participating from. And whatever affects one group affects you. Because when you talked about you being a nurse, everybody else who was white was uncomfortable for the full day. They were affected. And imagine how affected they were just watching it happen to somebody that they respected. And so now the dynamic and in a hospital, just like in other areas, the team is what creates good health care. Right. So if one team member or two team members are uncomfortable, you just broke up your secret sauce. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why, Denise, I'm always talking to executives and boards about community. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I'm telling them is that there's nothing wrong with a mission statement, vision statement, right. EDI, uh, KPI, nothing wrong with that. But until it seeps down into the blood and heart or the heart and blood of the organization, it's only going to go as far as the piece of paper. Yeah. Okay. You have to have community. And I'm going to talk about my friend. I told him, I won't say your name. I'm, I always call him Kevin. So it, that's not his name, but okay, I was, I was, gonna say, him, was that his name? <laughs> no, I just always, he dies laughing. Stop that. But I always call him Kevin. So I was, we were a community of two. <laughs> I'll say it like that. So I'm in this organization that there are no uh, black directors. I'm the only black director. And mm-hmm. uh, being the only black person uh, in something can really make you uh, feel alone. Yeah, uh, it really you really can lose that sense of belonging uh, and inclusion when you're the only one. So they're ta- So we've been together for two or three years at this job and He is just the most wonderful, just laughing, talking. He is just, but he is that person who will tell you the truth all the time. (laughs) That's just Kevin. So we're sitting at a table. My boss comes in and they've gotten another speaker for the conference that we used to put on these conferences for our clients. Okay. So we're all sitting there. All the directors are sitting there and we're taking notes. And and so we've concluded and and I'll call him Bob. And our boss is like, okay, Uh, Bob's like, fine. So we have our list and our roster. So Kevin says, why are all the speakers old white men? And it was silence. Like nobody said in. Now, Kevin's a white male. Uh Nobody said a word. And I'm like, he's going to get fired. (laughs) He is going to get fired. So Bob yells back, like, Kevin, you know, because Kevin's always saying something. Uh, Kevin, well, then if you can find some, we can't find uh, any. He, and Kevin's like, no, any women? You can't find any women? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I'm just saying we did our search. We did our homework. And we got who we could get and who was available. And if you, this is what Bob's telling Kevin, if you think you can do better and you can find somebody, then you get them. And you know what Kevin did? Kevin Kevin slid Bob a piece of paper with the lady's name. Oh, no. And a a wonderful Indian lady. It was a a wonderful, wonderful uh, conference. And she was one of the main wonderful pieces uh, and speakers of the conference. Everybody commented on it. Yeah. So 
he slides the paper to Bob and tells Bob, OK, I'll call her. I was like, he's that- going to get fired. <laughs> he, he, I mean, I, you know, I like him, but he's going to get fired. So uh, so Kevin is an upstander. Kevin is part of the community. And so what you can count on if you form these communities, mm-hmm. they'll take care of it. Like mm-hmm. they will be the they will be the people. And I'll tell you this. They protect the citizens. Mm-hmm. If you form a community, a team that really is dependent on each other, uh, respects each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, devoted to equity, diversity and inclusion. I'm talking about I'm, I'm talking about top the top to the bottom. Mm-hmm. If you have these kinds of communities, you can count on them to protect your mission. Mm-hmm. to protect your vision mm-hmm. and to protect individual citizens because mm-hmm. they protect each other. And Kevin, to this day, I still work with him often. And if something happens and he believes that he needs to be the upstander in the room, he does not have a problem with saying, you know what, guys, we're not being inclusive enough. He speaks up before black people, Hispanic people. We're all sitting there because when Kevin comes in, everybody knows. Like, we're just sitting there like, well, if something goes down, Kevin will, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin will tell him. <laughs> He'll tell him. Um, but when you build those, but he respects us. We yeah. all work really well together. We're yeah. all from different cultures right. uh, in our team. And we protect each other. Right. I remember um, someone had uh, said this really not so good thing, uh, micro uh, aggressive uh, type statement uh, toward uh, one of our um, Asian people who are on our team. And I love her. I love her so much. And I interceded. I was mm-hmm. like, I, I, I don't know if you know how that came across. Right. But that was offensive. And it was offensive to me. So it may be also offensive to my Asian colleague. And and so and and we don't act ugly or mad or jump on people, but we we say it like we call it out. That's our thing with our team. We call it out. If we don't think there's enough women being involved, we call it out. If we think that this is not uh, as diverse as we need in terms of this particular team, we call it out. And so I'm always telling leaders is that you don't give the folks enough credit. You're not giving mm-hmm. your employees, your managers, um, your supervisors, your directors, you're not giving them enough credit. If you build communities, they will protect themselves. It's interesting you say that because I can also envision that that kind of accountability for one another yes. also happens in the operating room. So now you don't hear these stories of, well, I couldn't say anything. It was the doctor who said it, who said he needed to do this or this was that. Did you now have a community that says, hey, wait a minute. Let me. Did you know? Did you forget? Did you? That's the wrong leg. Yeah. Did we (laughs) check? Did we check? You know, we haven't gone through the protocols. We haven't, you know, whatever it is. But you probably will see an equal amount or some level of connection to mistakes Right. Other risk that happened in the hospital. Right. Because people's got each other's back. And it used to be a time when we had an increase in wrong site surgeries because people didn't feel psychologically safe to speak up. And it was very authoritarian. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we saw hmm, people are getting hurt because people won't speak up. Now, translate that to EDI. Yeah. People are getting hurt because people won't speak up. Right. So we've done it before. We know how to do it. And look, this is what I mean when I say 
we have to find a different way to do the work. Mm -hmm. Like maybe we can translate some of those things that we've used. Oh, my God. Lessons learned. Oh, my gosh. Lesson learned. Oh, my gosh. That moves us forward. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Maybe we can translate some of that stuff over here. Right. And that's that's what appreciative inquiry is. We've done some things very well. Right. In the in the healthcare industry, we've done some. So can we translate that? Yeah into equity, diversity, inclusion. Now we have uh, one of the the folks I'm working with now, uh, they have a discriminatory conduct event uh, policy. Mm -hmm. They they count discriminatory conduct events so they can see where they're happening within their institution. They have a a peer to peer conversation with people uh, that have had uh, discriminatory conduct events happen to them within their facility. They're moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I think they got I know they did. They got their idea from something they had done with patient safety. Yeah. So I'm saying we know how to do it. We know how to do it. But I do think that this is foreign Mm -hmm. uh, to some folks because we've just thought about it for so long in terms of EEOC, regulatory, compliance, lawsuits, risk. Right? Which I'm a risk manager, so I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. But when we look at retention, when we look at burnout, when we look at whether or not we want employees that are thriving, we may have to approach this in a different way. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. You know, this is why I love you. We could go <laughs> on forever. <laughs> Cause I have like 99 more questions to ask. <laughs> I love this. How can people get a hold of you? And if they did, what would they want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much stuff, so much stuff. So um, you can get a hold of me at www.culturesteps.com. You can go right on there and send me a message and I will get uh, right back to you. Yeah. Um, uh, you can, I have my new book out, Denise. Uh, oh. EDI is the new black. And when I say new black, uh, I'm talking about this is the new way that you can lead the market. Whatever okay. market that you're in, this is the new way that mm-hmm. you can lead the market, mm-hmm. not just traditional stuff. So it is on sale right now on Amazon. So you right. can go and uh, Joanne Wortham, EDI is the new black. I've gotten some great reviews so far and I'd love some more. So I, I really feel like uh, what they can get from a conversation with me is truth and honesty, uh, new ways of looking at things in terms mm-hmm. of appreciative inquiry, beginner's mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All those things that really push us forward uh, instead of keeping us, like you said, um, keep us looking in the future and not really taking care of the now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 It's about risk management. You know, it's, risk management is all about assessing what your risks are, doing something different and still moving forward. Exactly. And knowing that there's a chance you're going to make a mistake. So we learn. You're right. We do know how to do this. Yes. So the question becomes, what's stopping you? All right. You heard it here. Here's the question for you. What's stopping you, regardless of whether you're in healthcare or not, what's stopping you from creating the kind of place where you've got community and employees have each other's back. What's stopping you? Let me know. You know, every month we've got Mighty Networks. We love hearing your questions, your comments. Go to my website, remarkableleadershiplessons.com. Leave a comment. Leave a comment here. 
uh, where you're listening to this. And you know what I'm going to say. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it. Because I guarantee it'll be a conversation that will help you close the gap. Get from where you are now to where you're going to be. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google, wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change, Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.